0: A couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife and I got a very important phone call, and we have been waiting for this phone call for a long time, and talking with each other, like, you know, when weeks turned into months, like, when are they going to call? When are they going to communicate? We thought it was going to be a long time. Can we at least get a ballpark idea of when this phone call is going to to come, or at least an email, or some kind of communication to let us know? So I think my heart must have skipped a beat when I pick up my phone and on the caller ID is the window company. Because since the summer, we've been dealing with some broken, drafty windows and had signed a contract and paid real money for some new windows. And uh, finally, uh, see that call, answer the phone, Aaron, we've got good news for you. The windows are in the warehouse And we're ready to come install them. I don't know if you've ever waited for a phone call like that before. Uh, or maybe checked your mailbox every day, like waiting for that letter. Uh, maybe you've refreshed your email one too many times. Swiped right to see if there's new snaps. Waited for the three bubbles to turn into an actual text message. And maybe it wasn't the window company, but it was a school that you wanted to get into. You're waiting for that admissions letter, waiting for that scholarship news. Or what about from the employer who interviewed you and it went so well, and it's like, where's my dang phone call? The doctor with the test results. What's the prognosis? What about the client who's ready to maybe sign on the dotted line after months of working with them, or even the special love interest? that we hope is at least interested in us. We wait for a lot of communication, don't we? And the silence is so frustrating. We can feel so powerless, you know, especially when we're in pain. Have you ever waited for God to speak? And have you ever been frustrated, especially when you're in pain, that he's not communicating with you, that he's not giving an answer? I mean, if, he, if he's powerful and if he cares and if he's paying attention why doesn't he give some kind of message that he's meaningfully involved in our life? Why doesn't he fix or speak into or give purpose to these situations that we can't control but are causing a lot of pain, the cancer, the divorce, the infertility, the injustice? There's an interesting uh, you know, question that I've heard someone ask, and I think it's really helpful. If you could ask God one question and you knew that he would answer you, what would you ask? Some might ask questions like these. What's my life's purpose? Would you help my son get free from addiction? Why did you let my mother die? Where were you when I was assaulted? Are you there? Do you actually care about my situation? Because it's one thing to get radio silence from a window company, or a friend, or a potential employer, it's a lot more painful to experience the silence of God. Now, in the season of Christmas, Christians celebrate that God did indeed break the silence. He broke the silence after hundreds and even thousands of years because he had a word to speak, John says. There was a word that was with God from the very beginning. God had something very important to communicate. And it had been brewing for a long time, and it's he wanted to share it with us. He wanted to answer all of our questions, but you know what? He didn't do it through a phone call. He didn't do it through an email, a text, a snap, or even some heavenly idea, some form of enlightenment. He broke the silence by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to be born of Mary. One of the passages that we heard read this morning is from the Gospel of John. It's a biography about the life of Jesus. And he says this, the word became flesh. Isn't that interesting? The word became flesh. God broke the silence and communicated something very important through the cries of a Jewish baby boy. His most definitive answer to all of our questions had little tiny elbows and lung tissue that would expand, contract, and an umbilical cord connected him with his mother. He lived for 33 years after being born. He died a a cruel death at the hands of the state, and then he was raised to life on the third day. He's the word that became flesh, an answer that took on a body, a human body, and lived a human life. This is, and he is, what God most wanted to say in response to all of our questions and all of our pain. Now, there's something really powerful, I find, about a message that takes human form. Isn't that interesting that this morning, we've had a message in human form These readers, these storytellers, these musicians have brought the words that are on the page, which carry a certain power, but have brought it to a whole new level of embodiment by carrying the message and communicating the message with their own life. What about when someone says, I love you by showing up to your hospital bed and keeping vigil with you all night? Or when a parent says, I believe in you by showing up to our games or recitals or when a neighbor says, you belong, by inviting us into their home and spending the evening asking us questions. It's a three-dimensional embodied and fleshed message. The message becomes tangible. When the message is embodied, it becomes a lot more powerful, not less powerful, because you can see the message, hear the message, touch the message. And John wrote his biography of Jesus after kind of like following him around for three years, where he could like see the message, touch the message, hear the message in three-dimensional form. And do you know what he said about that? After his commentary on the three-dimensional message of God and Jesus Christ, his commentary was, he was full of grace and truth. He was just full of grace and truth. And you know what grace does is grace takes all of our imperfections and, and covers them. With the, with the love of God. And truth is like, don't you just long for someone to not lie to you, not never manipulate you, tell you, you may not always like what he has to say, but it's always true. Jesus was full of grace and truth. This little baby of Mary would would, would grow up to be a man just marked by grace and truth. Everything that he did with his with his voice, with his hands, with his life, was like just overflowing with lots of grace and lots of truth. So with his hands, he healed people with skin diseases when other people pushed them away. There's some grace for you. With his voice, he taught people how to be adopted into God's family. Where there's some truth, but it's grace as well. With his mouth, he ate meals with people that society considered to be outcasts. He laughed with them. He was their friend. Now, this man was once robed in glory at the Father's right hand, worshiped by angels, and yet he, he gave all of that up. Why? To break the silence. Because it, it turns out, God's been listening to our questions all along. He came to communicate with his life, I love you, I can forgive you, your life has a purpose. There is always hope for you. There's always hope for our world. I'm making all things new. I'm with you always. That's that's what God most wanted to say in response to all of our questions. And that's what we most needed to hear. This week I met a remarkable leader here in Chicago named Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan was was caught up in a tragic event eight years ago. Um, He was at a gathering where someone lost their life. And... His friends, his so-called friends, decided to frame him for the murder. And so he found himself complete surprise in the justice system. Um, and and he was he was put in jail. He was found guilty. No one believed his side of the story. And so um he was in jail for um, for three years just asking like, how could this happen to me? imagine <laughs> imagine the questions you would ask of God. If you were framed for murder by people you thought were your friends and you were, you were locked up in jail, convicted, they testified against you. Um, after three years, Jonathan found himself in a division of the prison run by Chicagoland Prison Outreach, which provides mentoring and training for inmates. He didn't want to be there at all. In fact, he was really belligerent about the program. But one morning, he was sleeping in and he heard the preaching someone had came in and started preaching at, at, a, at a, the, the program that they had there. And it like woke him up. And as he began to listen to the words of the preacher, um, he realized like something clicked. The preacher was talking about putting away childish things, putting away childish things and becoming, um, becoming the man that God had called them to. And he was like, yes, that's what I want. That's what I want. And so the next day he got up in time to go to the program. And he sat a little closer to, they had this like prayer circle where there was like worshiping and prayer and everything. And he's like sitting closer to it. He could kind of like feel the warmth of it, you know? And then the next day he's like in the prayer circle, and he's starting to learn how to pray and he's starting to learn how to worship and he's feeling himself filled with God's spirit. And before you know it, uh, Corey Buchanan, who some of you know, cause he speaks here regularly. Corey Buchanan said, Hey, Jonathan, like, I think actually you could be a facilitator for our for our Bible study program and be a leader in this program. And he's like, no, I wouldn't know what to say. I wouldn't know what to do. And he's like, well, Moses said the same thing. Just ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. He'll give you the words. And Jonathan was like, all right, I'll try that. So he tried it. And guess what? He he was like, he told me, he's like, I didn't know where the words I was uh, speaking were coming from, except from, from God as I was mentoring other prisoners. Well, right around this time, something very interesting happened. Jonathan's public defender, who had not done a great job with his justice case, retired. He got a new one. And this new one was really committed to Jonathan's case. And you know what he found? Definitive video evidence that Jonathan was innocent. Isn't that amazing? And so um, by the the work of this public defender and by the grace of God, you know what happened is that Jonathan was actually, um, you know, released last April, April of 2021, was released from the Cook County uh, prison system. Um, And now, you know what Jonathan does today? Well, first of all, he got uh, vocational training through Chicagoland Prison Outreach. He took a 16-week course in how to be a carpenter so he could rebuild his life after being unjustly accused, unjustly convicted as a felon. And then being dismissed It's like, we're not just going to throw you out we're not just going to mentor you in prison. We're going to mentor you after prison. We're going to teach you how to be a carpenter. We're going to teach you how to build your life. So we began to do that. And one thing led to another. And now what Jonathan does is he works with youth all over our city, inside prisons and outside prisons and high schools and youth centers. And he leads he leads them in storytelling. He helps them process their trauma and turn it into poetry and storytelling and art. And that's that's right now his life's passion, and mission. Isn't that amazing? So uh, when God spoke into the silence into Jonathan's life, it wasn't just some idea. He came right, God's message, the word made flesh came right to where Jonathan was sleeping in his prison cell. And it gave him hope and it gave him light. And it even gave him a practical way to live out his calling, even in the difficult circumstances that he was in. That is how God communicates, not just through an idea. The word is embodied, it's made flesh, and we need that because that's the lives we are living as well. For you and me, we need the word to be made flesh, a message of grace and truth. Now, let's say you still have some unanswered questions for God, and we all have some unanswered questions for God, and you want him to show himself to you. You want him to speak to you. Um, What do you do then? Well, um, people for, for hundreds and thousands of years have found that one of the best ways to deal with silence from God is to practice silence with God. Silence is very simple, but it's very challenging. And my temptation is to cover up all my longing for God with distractions because it's, it's a lot easier to go to distractions and entertain myself than actually be present to God with all the real questions that I have and the longing that I have. But I found that if I can clear the deck and give God my attention, he's actually ready to draw near. And he'll be ready to draw near to you. He's interested in your questions, doubts, your needs, your hopes, and your pain. And even if you have an inkling of desire for God to draw near to you, that's the very beginning of faith. Christ is ready to be a true friend to you. He is. He'll be there for you your entire life, filling your whole life with grace and truth from womb to tomb. He is the word made flesh for you, my friend. In 2018, a soccer team in Northern Thailand decided to explore a cave together after their practice. 12 boys aged 11 to 16, as well as their coach who was 25 years old, um, they, they traveled to the nearby cave and, um, they, they entered the cave and they went about, uh, a, a little over a mile inside the cave. If you know what a, traveling inside a cave is like, it's like you're, you're ducking, it's, it's real narrow, you're going in and, uh, there's stalactites and stalagmites and all the, all the things and that a cave has. And what happened is that heavy monsoon rains began to fall very soon after the boys entered the cave. Once they were deep inside, the rain started to flood the cave. And all that they could do to survive was to climb up on a a solitary rock, all 13 of them, and uh, in pitch black. They waited a day. They waited two days. They waited three days. Imagine not even knowing what time it was because it's, it's pitch black in there. Four days pass. No word from the outside. Five days pass. They didn't have any food with them. Uh, and there was no way to escape. Six days pass. An entire week passes inside that cave with radio silence from the outside world. You know, and in that situation, they didn't need an email. They didn't need a phone call. They didn't need a letter or a, or a promise or anything. They needed a rescue from the outside. They needed the word of their rescue to be made flesh uh, with a real person showing up. My friends, after 10 days of hunger and darkness, the boys saw a light. And it was, a, it was the headlamps of the elite divers that had flown in from the UK to, to help with the rescue. It turns out that there was about 10,000 people working on this case, volunteers and uh, you know, all kinds of people working on trying to keep the rain from flooding the cave. And, but anyway, these two divers found the boys, unfortunately they had no food with them, but they said, we're going to, we're going to come back tomorrow with food. And, and sure enough, they did. Um, Now, what happened was that um, the oxygen levels in the cave, as more rescuers showed up, the oxygen level started to go down inside that place where they were trapped. And so the biggest need became not so much food, but oxygen. And so this is where um, uh, Saman Kunan, who is a member of the Thai Navy SEALs, came in. He delivered a supply of oxygen tanks to the boys to keep them breathing. And right before he left, he recorded a video and he said, We're gonna bring the boys home. We're we're gonna bring the boys home. Now, as uh, Saman swam back from the cave's entrance, or uh, back to the cave's entrance after delivering the oxygen tanks, Saman's own oxygen system failed him, and he lost consciousness. And despite efforts to revive him, he died from a lack of air. We'll bring the boys home. Saman sealed that message. With his own sacrifice my lungs for your lungs boys my life for your life you're going home and you know what each boy made it alive home after 18 days including the coach now saman's example reminds me of the message jesus gave as his lungs expired on a roman cross 33 years after he was born You know, because he saw us, he saw us helpless and trapped, but he didn't leave us stranded. Isn't that the most amazing thing? He didn't leave us stranded in the darkness. In fact, he broke the silence with the message, this is my body broken for you. Your life is precious and and I'm ready to bring you home. That's the promise of Christmas. It's why we celebrate this morning. If you want to go deeper in, in research in the backstory of, of the birth of Jesus, um, I'd encourage you to pick up a copy of the book Hidden Christmas by New York City pastor and author Timothy Keller. We've got a few copies in the back, and please take one um, as a gift from us. It's a very intellectually stimulating book and, and also encouraging for the soul as well. Before we take up our offering for Chicagoland Prison Outreach, I'd like to, for all of us to pray. Let's just take a moment now to pray. And, and uh, even if you're a skeptical person about prayer, I just want to make a space for you just to have a moment of silence where you can give God your question. Lord, we have so many questions for you. Thank you for breaking the silence by showing yourself to be full of grace and truth. Thank you for leaving behind the joys of heaven to be God's answer. Lord, our hearts are restless until we rest in you. So let the beauty and joy of these lessons and carols help us do just that, this Christmas season, to rest in you and to find that you are the answer that God most wanted to give us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.